Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. Every day I get to help women rise and find their own healing despite their circumstances. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. If you're looking for just betrayal topics, catch me on my former podcast where there are four years of golden content, all for free at your fingertips. All right, let's do this. Today, we are going to be talking with Jen Hurst, who is a trauma-informed Enneagram consultant. And she's going to open our world into how the Enneagram can really help us heal the parts of us that maybe we do not see. And uh, those are kind of my favorite conversations. So I'm excited for you to meet Jen. Um, I'm going to meet Jen a little bit more. And so Jen is a trauma-informed Enneagram practitioner with a private practice in St. George, Utah, my hometown. She is a mother to seven, six sons, um, three daughter-in-laws and one daughter and one, almost two grandbabies, which she does not look like she has all of that under her belt. So (laughs) good job. Um, Jen has been studying personality theory and personally and professionally for over 30 years. This is what drove her to begin coaching and consulting with other people using personality, specifically the Enneagram as a sense-making framework to better help people understand themselves and others. Through this process of helping people uncover unconscious patterns, adaptations, habits and defense mechanism, it was clear to her that there were was way more to the big picture of personality, mainly unresolved trauma. She chose continuing education specifically through Dr. Gabor Mate compassionate inquiry program, who uses a unique psychotherapeutic approach to trauma. Uh, Real trauma informed Enneagram is the most useful tool that she knows of to help people discover and heal who they really are and have the courage to confront their shadow and then befriend the version of themselves they wish most to become, which is that whole last part is beautiful. And I'm like, okay, I fine. Tell me about the Enneagram because (laughs) I've really struggled with the Enneagram, Jen. And it's um, partly because, well, a couple things, but I get, I'm very, um, once I find a piece of my puzzle, I feel put in a box and I, I put myself in a box for so many years that it scares me. And so I do have that defense mechanism of like, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to learn a ton about that, but I want to learn a ton about it. And what better person than to have you here. So Mm. thank you for being here, Jen. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And that's really helpful to sort of understand a little bit of what your background is coming into the Enneagram. And it's honestly not that unusual for there to be resistance towards systems or typologies or theories that sort of delineate you to this basic framework, right? Mm -hmm. We were so much more complex. Um, And that is honestly one of the reasons why the Enneagram ultimately appealed so much to me personally, um, was that it was so nuanced, it was so vast and big. Um, And to be honest, that's often a reason why people don't like the Enneagram is that Mm -hmm. it is big, it's quite complex, 
it's a relatively sis, uh, simple system, but it's, it has a lot of deep roots and it's very broad. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a system out there of understanding the human experience almost for everybody. The Enneagram is not going to be for everybody, for sure. I would never think that it would be. It was for me and for a lot of my own personal reasons and my own journey. I, I often talk about my entry into the Enneagram was kind of like I had this tool belt of models and systems and, you know, it's just like loaded, really heavy tool belt. I was a really good therapy student, had been doing my own work for a long time. And when I learned the Enneagram, after a couple of years of really sort of sitting with it, it was like it was speaking about mm. me to me. It was describing really for the first time what it was like for me to be me. Uh, one of the distinctions that the Enneagram has is that other models, and there's, they're useful, there's a lot of utility in them, but they often describe how other people experience you. And that's where mm. people get feel put in a box. This is much about how you experience you. You almost have to, close the blinds on what you think other people see of yeah. you, how other people experience you and really go inward. Like, what is this energy that I'm feeling when I feel this push against, you know, the other, whatever it is, like, what is that energy? We often just bypass that with impatience or long day or busy family, like long day at work. Like, no, what is that? There's something deeper there. And the Enneagram really can speak to that beautifully. And for me, like I said, this toolbox, it was like things just sort of come came out of the toolbox. Like, oh, okay, the Enneagram kind of speaks to that. Yep, the Enneagram kind of speaks to that too. I think I could reduce my models that I was using to understand mm -hmm. the lived experience and me personally. You know, really, it's pretty much right down to the Enneagram. I've got a few other systems that I really tend to believe in most of the time are, are useful. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of how, how I found it um, and found it to be really useful in my own life. I never really saw myself developing a private practice, coaching, consulting, facilitating in this respect. Um, but it's what my life had prepared me really perfectly to be doing it. And so here I am and I love it. I find it to be one of the most useful tools that I have found. So mm, I love that. And I when things fall into place like that, it's meant to be. So I'm glad that you have found that path and purpose to help others find the parts of them that they maybe want to find that are hidden. I don't know. I feel like the first time I did take the test and I mean, I took it online, so there's that. Um, it was, it was more of what you described. It was for me, I really look at everything as a puzzle piece and just fitting it together to help me find more understanding of myself and others and healing. And I did feel heard and seen when I saw the results. And then when, you know, people ask me frequently, what are, was your Enneagram? And then I forget. And so I have to go take the test. Again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's been different the last few years. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know what I am. Um, so I love the idea. You do it different. It's not an online test, correct? Right. That's right. There, there are a lot of tests. 
um, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of tests. I mean, I, to some respect I am because f for some people it's their entry into personality mm -hmm. studies. It's their entry into self-awareness. A lot of people will hear about the Enneagram and they'll be like, oh, I want to know what I am, you know, like go tell me what magical gifts I have, you know, <laughs> right? So they go to online and they, they take a test and it's like, oh, like some of it's close. Like some of it is kind of like me, I guess. Tests honestly are a little bit of a crapshoot. I, I don't know if this was before we lost service or not, but <clears throat> there's there's an element of testing that is really useful because for some it's their entryway into inquiry within themselves. And the Enneagram is all about becoming a really good student of who you are. Um, and if nothing else, it challenges you. And tests are set up to sort of make you fail. They want to give you a result. They don't want you to end up feeling like, oh, I'm in the gray, I don't know what I am. So they'll often present two in a multiple choice question, two answers that are like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm like both of those things. Yeah. But you kind of like, you have to choose, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, I'll just pick one, I guess. But it's not really a representation of who you are most of the time. It might be a representation of who you are under stress. It might be a representation mm -hmm. of you when you're unhealthy. Um, or being challenged or when your childhood wound is activated. I mean, there's a, a infinite around uh, scenarios around what circumstance would you be uh, feeling envy as opposed to competitiveness, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just for the type three as an example. Those can be very similar. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot to consider and it's not quite as simple as just here answer this question and tell me what you're feeling today as a <laughs> consultant i would want to know well what were you like as a kid you know how did you present as a child children tend to present you know within their type structure type in the enneagram is very well developed by the age of five and if you know what to look for it's there um can i get back to testing and can we just talk about kids for just a second oh, sure yeah Okay. So you have daughters. Um, mm -hmm. Is there one of them in particular that from the moment they were born was sort of this certain way, like a little bit of fire mm -hmm. or a little bit of ice? For sure. Yeah. 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 And is it pretty clear to you that they were, that came with that? Yes. Yeah. And they have not lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's, that is exactly the essence of the Enneagram is you are born with a, a typical um, archetype for you. It's, it is what is embedded in who you are and it shows up throughout your life in many different ways and forms. People will say, oh, well, I've changed, you know, I've done so much work and it's like, well, good, congratulations. I'm so glad that you've changed. But what you're doing is you're adapting Mm. in this this really broad framework of archetype within the Enneagram. I mean, really, one thing that we have to really understand too is what, how are you defining personality? Ennea is Greek for nine, gram is Greek for diagram. The word personality has to be clearly defined when you know, okay, so we're looking at personality under this model. How do you define personality? Is personality more a temperament or is personality more sort of this immeasurable, ineffable experience 
that when we talk about children coming with special mm -hmm. fire or really, you know, some parents will describe. I have seven children, okay? And I have lots of different personalities in my home. And I have twins that are 23. And when they were born, um, we didn't know if they were identical or fraternal. Uh, they were in separate sacks, but what looked like to be one placenta. And if you know anything about multiples, twins can be born in one amniotic sac or two, but they have to have one placenta. Well, because that was undiscernible, we didn't know. And 24 years ago, 23 years ago, it was we didn't have the DNA technology that we have now that we could just quickly swab and we would know within you know three minutes. So, but one thing that I knew about them, and someone asked, are they identical or fraternal? I said, I don't know. Uh, one of them was a soggy donut and the other one was a crispy chip. Of course, we know that even in identical people, they have, they might have the same DNA, but they have different, I don't know if you've ever known identical twins, there's different people. They're, mm -hmm. they are not the same person. Um, they have a different soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it. And, and I knew that about my twins. I knew one of them was a soggy donut and he, to this day is still, if I could describe that out into other adjectives and presentations, he would still identify in my mind as that soggy donut. And Tyler is the same way. He's a crispy chip. He's disciplined and ambitious and more rigid. And, and those were things that I would have no way of knowing had I not had some sort of discerning sense of who they were. Um, so personality, defining that clearly within the Enneagram model is really important. What is personality? It's, it's not just temperament. It's not just defense mechanisms or, or, you know, focuses of attention. There's so much more to that. Um, and so when we're looking at testing, we are kind of going all the way back to testing, got on a tangent with parenthood. Um, <clears throat> testing, if you know what you're looking at, testing can really identify temperament, for instance, really well. Um, but testing is looking at how other people experience you. Mm. And I mentioned to you before that the Enneagram is about how you experience you. And so if you don't have a lens already built in to your way of being and your way of relating to yourself, you're going to test yourself as if someone else is experiencing you. Mm. Okay. And that's tricky. Does it end up helping at the end of the day? Yes. When people come in and they've said, I've taken three tests and they're all different types, <laughs> we start looking at common denominators. Okay, so what's where do they share a line? You know, the Enneagram is a circle that has nine points around it. It's a diagram. And these intersecting lines are really, really important. And they show the way that each type becomes neuroflexible. The healthier they are and the more they resource, the more access they have to other types, which is often the reason why people will come with more than one type. They'll be like, ah, oh, I was like three. They basically were all the same, so it must not be real. And I'm like, no, 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 that's exactly what we want. <laughs> like, that's an excellent sign that you are resourcing and you don't even know that you're resourcing. You're doing mm -hmm. it anyway because it's what your particular type needs in stress. It's what your type needs as a resource in times of security. It's ways in which you can support your mm -hmm. own way of being. And it happens organically without, without needing the language. Having a common language is really helpful because it's like, oh, okay, here's, here's this thing that I do in stress. I've always done this thing in stress. 
you know, or here's this yeah. thing that I, I get when I get a little like, oh, someone's trying to control me. I'm going to get really like, you know, I'm going to maladapt in that sense um, because personality in the Enneagram is an adaptation. So in, in the broad spectrum, what we want to see is less personality. That doesn't mean that you're less of who you are. That just means that you're presenting with less of the rigid uh, framework that we use to initially bring in some context for people hmm. when they're learning their type. But the any, I mean, the longer you're in it, the more work you do, the less personality there is, and the more essence there is. Interesting. And I've heard it's not a uh, part of the Enneagram to type people if you're not like a professional, right? Yeah. And so when people are, um, I do get people who guess what I am or who want to know what I am. I, I'm guessing just so that they can understand me more as someone mm -hmm. they're following. Um, but it's interesting when you're saying that, I'm pretty sure that the last time I took it, I really was taking it as how other people see me because mm -hmm. I was like, this isn't me, but like, I guess I am these things. But it said I was a three. I don't feel like I'm a three, but I have a lot of evidence <laughs> to say that I'm a three. Um, mm -hmm. But when, yeah, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, I do remember taking it and saying like, I wouldn't say this, but I, there's the evidence that I am. So I yeah. don't know what that means, but. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's um, a question of why you do those things. So, you know, there's, there's a, uh, a part of study in the Enneagram called stance work. And this has to do with our energetic presence. It's, it's almost our initial response to something, but it goes so much deeper. It's a little next level, but there's what's called the assertive or the aggressive stance. And that's types eight, seven, and three. So three would be in this stance of people who tend to go against the other, you know, for, as an example, if, if you had threes, walk into a room or sevens or eights, any of those that identify in this assertive or aggressive stance, they might walk into a social situation and instinctually know what they need to, to kind of push against in order to stay autonomous, in order to stay like belonging to themselves, That's to not feel like they're being, you know, persuaded or influenced, where the dependent stance, which is one, two, and six, they go along with, they might come in a room and they might instinctually know, what do I need to go along with in order to just sort of go along to get along, just to sort of hmm. blend in and sort of merge. And then they decide what they need to do with it. And then there's the withdrawn stance, which is nine, four, and five. And they, they literally energetically withdraw themselves from the environment in order to determine if they want to engage, if they want to participate, how much they want to participate, who they want to participate with. And they each have their own filter. What motivates the nine is really different than what motivates the four and the five. They might look similar. They mm -hmm. might behave similar. The way other people perceive them is very similar because of this energetic quality. But mm -hmm. it's like, why? Why do they do this thing? You know. I spoke at a, an event a couple of years ago and there was a guy who spoke before me, wonderful person doing his own thing, but he kept saying this term that really sort of got under my skin. And he kept saying that all men um, are afraid of failure. All men are afraid of failure. And he just kind of kept like nailing that in. And I'm like, that's 
absolutely not true. And in our uh, society, yes, you would say, typically speaking, men are the the providers, that's sort of the, the uh, expectation per se. Um, and that might have a built-in fear of failure that if they fail, they might disappoint their spouses or families or whatever, right? But that's actually not true. Not all men are afraid of failure. Some men are afraid of conflict. A type seven might not even get close enough to failure to even know what it is. They've moved on, <laughs> you know, the grass is greener. <laughs> So there's there's a tremendous amount to understand about like, OK, just everybody doesn't like failure, right? Who loves failure? Nobody. Yeah. But why and what happens in mm -hmm. you when you do experience failure? Those are questions that a test can't ask. Mm, I like this. I, <laughs> I, I'm like, OK, Jen, sign me up. I'll do a thing with you. Test me. Figure okay. out who I am. Um because it's funny, even you saying these are the aggressive types. I'm like, that's what it said. I am is all those types. So I'm like, oh crap. Uh, but I don't see myself as aggressive. But I guess I am. Okay, but aggressive's not bad, Ashlyn. <laughs> I know in my head it is. Yeah. Well, there's like so many reasons for that, right? Like our conditioning and upbringing. There's so many layers as to why we've associated aggression. I mean, and this is actually a really interesting point because I work with in the state of Utah, I work with a lot of women that come from a particular demographic, mm -hmm. a religious demographic specifically. And what's highly rewarded within that culture is the type two. Oh. They're the nurturers, they're the givers, they're the lovers, they're the self-sacrificers, they're the ones that have no needs. You know, like, okay, so do you want to know how many type women though, but, but that come in unaware of who they are that have identified and clung to mm, this way of prescribed being that's heavily rewarded okay so i have a, a a client a few years ago that is a is a type eight she's a tiny little person in a, a type eight's the most aggressive of all of the types um and aggressive assertive however you want it to go about describing that but it's like they are high energy high intensity they're natural leaders, natural um, uh, go-getters, if you will. They're not subordinate. They don't play subordinate roles very well. And so a lot of women will come in to this system having a lot of shame if they don't identify as the type two, mm -hmm. because it's like, uh, this hasn't been rewarded. In, under what circumstance is an aggressive, outspoken, leader-oriented female in this system rewarded, you know? And that's hard. It's very difficult for people. I have a tremendous amount of compassion for the programming that they come with. Um, and it's a relief in many respects to know that like, oh, man, I really don't like serving people. You know, of course, they do, right? But like, yes. it's not just like they're-, they're But that's not all of it, yeah. Right, <laughs> yes. It's like, okay, I don't have to feel bad that I'm not just thinking about other people all the time. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Jen. And, mm -hmm. um, as I have continued to find my own healing through therapeutic work, I have gone back more to younger Ashlyn mm -hmm. and just trying to heal those parts of me. So adolescent, teenage, even younger in my twenties, Ashlyn, 
And I found that some of the things that I choose to do, the way that I choose to spend my days, the people I surround myself with, it has changed over the years. And so is that me more, would you say, coming back into my more original Enneagram type or adapting still to this new way of I'm healing and this is the way I see myself? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's um, a few ways to look at that because we've mentioned that I one of the angles that I take within the Enneagram is with a very trauma-informed lens. Mm -hmm. If we don't look at that piece, it's going to show up as maladaptive <laughs> strategies that people have used through their life. So as people heal, I think going back and healing versions of themselves that weren't necessarily fully supported, but you can support little Ashlyn now. Um, so there's children have a really organic way of presenting. They're not filtering on who they're supposed to be necessarily. You know, they're they're learning differentiation, but they're quite enmeshed with their caregivers. Um, they're having to choose attachment out of necessity often all the way through their life and they really aren't given the opportunity to choose authenticity and so here you are in this beautiful stage of life and i've been a big fan of yours for a long time mm, you're you. walking into authenticity and so it's not a big surprise that you're now going back and nurturing the littler version of you that couldn't choose authenticity that had to choose mm. attachment for the sake of survival you know, it was just it, whether it be easier, it was less, there was less conflict. It, you were able to stay connected with your caregivers if you chose attachment. You know, the, the one of the cornerstones of trauma is a detaching from the authentic self, a separation from the authentic self. And if the Enneagram is all about reorienting yourself with the authentic version of who you are before the world got to you, before trauma got mm -hmm. to you, before the, all the upsets of life. And so it's a beautiful integrating of who you are now with who you couldn't be back then. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love all of that. Okay. Um, if I have never, ever died, dove into this, where, where would I even start is you do consultations, I'm guessing virtually. Mm -hmm. For who? Consultations for someone oh. who's never, oh, or maybe yeah. they have done. I have several friends who are really into the Enneagram, but I don't know that yeah. they've done it this way. Yeah, no, that's a great question um, because there's not really one way to do it. Um, I started with one of the the kind of the, the Bibles of the Enneagram, so to speak, called the Wisdom of the Enneagram. It sat on my nightstand for a couple of years before I had <laughs> the capacity to dive into it. it. It felt really big and it kept using numbers. Like mm. why, why are they not using adjectives or like, I, I couldn't understand what type one meant, you know, and it took a long time to digest that. This was before podcasting. This was before social media. This was long before we have all this information available to us. So there's a, an abundance and oversaturation of information out there on the Enneagram, but you have to be careful because the Enneagram isn't really bite-sized, right? It's not like, mm -hmm. 
oh, I just read an Instagram post about type one. Now I know that I'm a type one. It's like, this is, these are just like sprinkles on the top. Um, there are, I have a lot of resources that I think are excellent, but it's, it's also a little bit of like, what are you wanting to get from it? What are you looking to gain? Are you looking mm -hmm. to gain just simple understanding of your innate patterns? And if that's the case, I would tell you to, to dive in through study. Yeah, take a test. Sure. It might be wrong. It might get you in the vicinity, but hold that loosely until either you do your own study. And in that case, you'll do a process of elimination. You'll start eliminating the ones that you know for sure you're not. And then, you know, the third option would be to find a professional, somebody that is qualified and trained, um, not just somebody who read an Enneagram book and think that they can now teach it. I mean, this is really intensive work. And if you are looking to really deconstruct these adaptive patterns and strategies of personality, then, you know, working with a coach, the approach that I have with people is very psychodynamic in many respects. You know, it's a lot of what feels like therapy, um, but it's, it's, we can jump through so many like years of trying to understand each other. It's like, mm -hmm. if we can sort of get to this basic understanding of how you're oriented, we can really move quickly in in creating a dialogue between practitioner and client. Um, I'm really big in accountability. Um, I tell people quite regularly that I don't really care if you like me. I care <laughs> if you trust me. I want you to like me, but you know, like at the end of the day, my work isn't predicated on whether or not you like me. It's on whether or not you mm -hmm. trust me. And if you can trust me, then I can, I can get you as close to the heat as you can handle. And that's the skilled practitioner, somebody that knows how to keep you accountable, to keep you pushing, leaning in. I want you to be uncomfortable. That's part of the work. People don't like that, right? If you don't like that, you don't call me. If people don't want to be accountable, they don't look at the Enneagram, you know, or other systems, right? It's like, it's, there's just a certain type of person that is interested and willing to do the hard reflection, reflecting, reflecting that often comes with this type of work. So self-study for sure a test, you know, like to, to gamble on that. And then finding a professional that you can be coached with. There's not a lot of them. I mean, it feels like the Enneagram's everywhere, but to find, you know, qualified coaches in the Enneagram is they're, they're becoming more and more popular as time goes on. Um, and the usefulness of a coach in the Enneagram is also becoming more apparent because there is so much information out there. Um, you'll find that you kind of hit a dead end with information. I can just get information after, you know, more and more information. It's like, well, what does all this mean? Because I feel differently when I'm unhealthy. I feel differently when I'm in stress. I feel differently when I'm activated. Why are you activated? What's activating you? Mm. you know, there's just, there's so much that a coach can do in working with a client that is, is unique and special. Um, especially if we're looking at what bubbles up in trauma, uh, because mm -hmm. it always is there that I didn't see myself coming into trauma work, trauma work sort of found me, it became so apparent that there was repressed either traumatic memory or, you know, big T, small T trauma, it didn't really matter. It was such a 
prevalent narrative in people's lives. And until we addressed and confronted that, and we learned how they were defending against their trauma, mm -hmm. stuck in the body, then we were going to be stuck in maladaptive strategies, just repeating and repeating and repeating. So that's you know, a really I'm, beautiful part. I'm listening to this and I think I've done years of therapy. I've done all different types of um, modalities. I have not done a modality like this. And yet it feels like the way you describe it as kind of a good mix of therapeutic, but more, more understanding of self and maybe more tools and skills in order to remain <laughs> oneself rather than Mm. letting, letting the mm -hmm. triggers and things lead us down another road that we mm -hmm. don't necessarily want mm -hmm. to go down. Uh, so mm -hmm. I really like how you're describing this. And this is exactly what I wanted on this episode was to have a better understanding of something that I haven't found a lot of. I mean, I took the test and that's about it. And so that mm -hmm. doesn't take you very far. And mm -hmm. so I really appreciate you taking some time to share with us why, yeah. why this can be such a great puzzle piece for people to find more of themselves and more healing. And mm -hmm. for me to understand what you do and the possibilities out there. So yes. where can our listeners find you so that they can dive into this work? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. That's probably where I am the most is everyday Enneagram on, on Instagram. I think it's everyday.enneagram. Okay. Um, I'm also online um, on my website, everyday Enneagram as well. Um, those are probably the two most frequented places, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big body of work and a lot of different translators of the Enneagram, you know, you had mentioned, I'm not sure if this is before our interview, when we were just chatting about, you know, is it religious? Is it spiritual? Mm. And a lot of people will have that sense about it. And a part of it is that there's a tremendous amount of evangelical churches and kind of Bible Belt Christian churches that have used the Enneagram as part of their curriculum, mm. which I think more power to you. It's a beautiful system. One of the things that I love about the Enneagram is that you can take it and put it anywhere in the world, overlay it with any culture, any background, any demographic, period, and it works. Hmm. It's not a Western thing. It's not an American thing. It's a global human thing. Um, and I've seen that play out in academic settings over and over and over again. And I'm blown away every time I am sitting on a panel with a group of twos from all around the world because I identify as a type two. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I do that same thing, you know, and here's <laughs> literally a guy from Egypt that I just met. That I don't know anything about. And here we are talking about similar themes in our life, in the way that we relate to others, in the way others relate to us. So that's a, um, a something that I feel like has to be really clear is that there's there's a lot of religions that use the Enneagram, but the Enneagram in and of itself is not a religious system. The Enneagram has been around a really, really long time. Um, long before Western psychology came around and thought that they invented, you know, 
the human experience in their in their <laughs> way of defining it right so there were people that were observing patterns and and things that were coming with regularity in people and and really the way the time that the Enneagram sort of filtered its way into a written body of work from an oral tradition, it had come from all around the globe. And they were sort of talking about all the same stuff. It just sort of got deciphered down into a body of work. And then it's sort of like it was at a buffet table and people came and, and took it and did what they wanted with it, you know? And so that's why if you search the Enneagram, you might be like, oh, this looks a little too psycho-spiritual for me, or this mm. looks a little bit too, you know, religious. And it might be, that's just the voice. That's just the person that has kind of formed the Enneagram into their, um, to their doing, but it is, um, a little psycho-spiritual. There's just no way to get around that. Um, because it's talking about something that's, metaphysical it's really talking about an inner essence that i don't know where it comes from i don't know where what that is um do you have to believe in god to subscribe to the enneagram no um but there is a a, a sort of assumption that there's something bigger than mm -hmm. us that there's some sort of cosmic divine you know and when we when we think about this in reference to children when children come and my kids included, where it's like, oh, they came this way. Like, I didn't do this. I had twins that were raised in the identical situations, identical settings. They're they so different. And I didn't do that. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. And that's what I'm looking for. So, um, yeah, just that one little note on, you know, religion and spirituality and how that works in the Enneagram. I felt like that was important to mention because it's a question I get yeah. asked a lot. For sure. So thank you again. I, yeah, this has been great for me and hopefully for other people as well. Yes, and it's been um, so fun. I'll put all of your information in the show notes. You okay. can just click right now and find Jen wherever she's at. Sounds great. And we'll continue this conversation another day. I can't wait. Thanks for being here with me today. Whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.